When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to yet another episode of Zero Ducks Given and another busy week in the world of cricket, which we will look at in the 45 minutes or so ahead. We will talk a little bit about the England versus India T20 series happening at the moment, but we're recording this between the second and but we're recording this between the second and third game. And so we're probably not going to concentrate on them too much because otherwise this podcast will be out of date come Tuesday evening. So instead, we are going to focus on a week of some dodgy umpiring decisions and also Afghanistan versus Zimbabwe and some wonderful cricket shithousery took place in that game, which we'll talk about a bit later on. You wouldn't think anything interesting could come from Afghanistan versus Zimbabwe, but would you believe it? Actually, it was very entertaining. Dan Norcross looks offended because Daniel Norcross, by the way, I should point out, is the only man in the world that watched Afghanistan versus Zimbabwe. Is there, there, is there anything that you wouldn't watch, Daniel? No, of course not. No, I mean, Team to, to Beck Common, come lockdown, was absolutely like a teeming mass of people playing like, you know, four people playing a game. I would just stop and commentate out loud, you know, <laughs> in the middle of a common. I love it. And after... How dare you say this about Afghanistan and Zimbabwe? It was a high-quality encounter that came to a thrilling conclusion with some extraordinary statistical anomalies, Toby. Honestly, ah, not to mention some intriguing commentary. There was an awful lot going on in this. Do you want me to tell you about it now, or do you want to wait? No, what, what we'll do is I will come to you a bit later on for your full rundown of Afghanistan versus Zimbabwe, but I did see you getting very excited on Twitter. and Because it's like when a Football World Cup comes around, and I sit there and I'm like, I'm going to watch every single game. You only get a World Cup every four years. And then it gets to like four in the morning and it's Panama versus Iran. And I'm like, do you know what? I'll probably go to bed. But Daniel Norcross, he would watch just about any cricket match, any time in the world. You can guarantee Daniel Norcross will be watching. Also, we can officially call ourselves an award-winning podcast. I'll tell you more about that a bit later on. And we'll go through all your social media interactions this week. But first of all, if you're wondering, where is Stephen Finn? That's an excellent question. Basically, Finney is doing some sort of Zoom call with Middlesex. I don't know. He tried explaining it to us. No one was really listening. We ignored him a bit on the WhatsApp group, but he was whinging about the time that we could record, blah, 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 blah. So he is going to join us at some point. However, we are joined by another very, very tall, Ashes-winning England cricketing legend. And his name came up on the podcast last week, if you've listened to that, in the shape of the one and only Mr. Chris Tremlett. Hello, Chris. Great to see you, mate. How are you? Very good, guys. Yeah, how are you? Yeah, very, very well. Thank you very well. Now, let me explain to uh, to everybody listening to this. So, Daniel is, um, as ever, half-pissed, recording in Tooting in London. I'm just down the road in Clapham. But Chris Tremlett is in India at the moment. He is taking part in the Road Series, which is essentially a cricket legend series. And you've probably seen this going around on social media and stuff. And uh, it's a proper who's who of recent retirees from the international game. And I was looking at the list earlier. I mean, I'm going, to, I'm going to say this now very politely, and I won't cast any aspersions or say any names specifically. In some instances, I will say the word legends has been used loosely. Uh, but I'm going to, go through, going to go through some of the teams. However, England, Kevin Peterson, Darren Maddy, Oeshar, Monty Panasar, Kabir Ali, Gavin Hamilton, Philip Mustard, Matthew Hoggard, James Tindall, Chris Tremlett, James Treadwell, Chris Schofield, Jonathan Trott and Ryan Sidebottom. Some of the names, though, Mattia Muraliferan, Chaminda Vass, some bloke called Sachin Tendulkar. Apparently, he was quite good. John T. Rhodes, Dilsham, Brian Lara, uh, Mohammed Rafiq from Bangladesh. Unbelievable names playing. How's it been now so far, Chris? Because you've played a few games. Uh, how's it all been going so far? Enjoying it? It's been really good fun. It's been a, you know, a good chance to kind of get out of lockdown. I kind of got asked about a week before this tournament was happening. So I was, kind of, I was told we were going to have to quarantine and that sort of thing for a few days. So I was kind of contemplating whether to come over. But uh, after thinking about it and, you know, I haven't played cricket for five or six years at all. I haven't played in club cricket or, you know, much at all. So um, I was a bit kind of um, worried about bowling again 
after you know, I am probably about four stone heavier than I was when I retired. Um, so I was, there was that kind of um, fear of injury and things like that. Should I do it? But, um, but, but on the other hand, it was like it's a chance to kind of get out of lockdown, come and catch up with a few guys that I've not seen for years. Um, you know, I'm good friends with KP. I've not seen him for a while. Uh, and it's kind of, you know, kind of sold to me that it's going to be a pretty relaxed tournament over here. Don't, don't kind of worry about it too much. The kind of main focus is to focus on the road safety kind of aspect of things over here. It's quite a big um, thing, you know, the awareness they want to put out over here. Um, but yeah, having kind of touched down and obviously done, I think I did three days quarantine in my room and then another three days kind of roaming around the hotel. Um, having get stuck back into the cricket, it's actually been really good fun. And considering everyone's been sat on their sofa for six months and not really touched a ball or a bat, we managed, you know, we managed to beat India in front of 30,000 people and they had the likes of Sachin and Silwag Silwag and these guys. It's just, yeah, it's just been really good fun. It's great to catch up with people. It's been very kind of lighthearted, um, even though probably, yeah, the Asian teams are probably taking it a little bit more seriously and they have got some <laughs> probably better players and more recent retired players. So um, it is, it, you do have your work cut out sometimes and you have to kind of remember that you're not a cricketer anymore. You've got, and because, you know, when the competitive juices start going again, you just have to sometimes go, I'm just, just going to enjoy this. So I get hit for a few fours or if I get out, it doesn't, it doesn't matter at the end of the day. Um, so yeah, it's just been, let's say, great to kind of get out of lockdown and spend you know, two and a half, three weeks over here. Chris, quite contrasting attitudes to post-retirement in the England opening bowlers with Matthew Hoggard and yourself. You, you, you said you put on four stone, but your four stone is purely muscle. Hoggies is almost entirely <laughs> barbecued meat. <laughs> how, how, have you, how have you found, is that extra muscle increased your pace uh, as has hoggy been able to swing the ball more round corners as a result of having that stuff a little bit more i don't know a little <laughs> bit more waddle as he comes up to the wicket uh well i mean we're, we're, we're all kind of bowling off about 10 paces i mean i don't know if the camera picks it up but i have been bowling off quite a short run but yeah I th- i'm i'm i think i was about 105 kilos 16 17 stone and i'm 20 stone now 125 kilos so running into bowl is definitely a lot harder i'm still i was actually surprised myself how well i've able to get my arm over and actually bowl half decent pace obviously I'm nowhere near what I used to be able to kind of get up to especially at, you know, I'm nearly 40 years old now so and hoggy's what 44 45 and you know it's it's, it's not the same and the body doesn't quite respond the way it does but I guess I guess keeping myself reasonably fit since retirement for five or six years yeah you know, I'd say you know not being biased but I say I'm in a lot better shape than the other guys and I found it not too bad coming back playing and you know we've played four games in eight days it's actually quite you know it's quite taxing and it's 35 36 degrees over here as well so it's it's not easy and when you haven't done anything for for months especially cricket stuff um it's it's hard so yeah, i think some of them have found it harder than others but you know it, it you look at matthew hogg off 10 paces he's still got the, the skills he's still swinging it um ryan sidebottom in the end he he went back to his full run you know it's amazing seeing him kind of go from six paces back to you know, his competitive juices started again <laughs> and he's back up his full run. Um, but, but yeah, it was all, it's all very lighthearted. But at the same time, the Asian teams and the Indian teams, all the bowlers are coming off their full runs and they are taking it really seriously. So sometimes it's hard not to, to take it seriously. You just have to remember that you are, you are retired and you're here for a, a bit of fun. Um, but yeah, overall, it's, it's, it's been really good fun and you know, I've bowled okay. And, I, and I've actually hit a few runs in which I haven't picked up a bat for ages, but I've just kind of not thought about it. Just see the ball, hit the ball and try and hit it over the boundary. And uh, like I said, it's been, it's been, a, it's been, been a good laugh. I love how you said there that you've kept yourself in slightly better shape than some of the other guys. I mean, that's one of the, that's one of the, I mean, that's the understatement of the century, I think. So um, people that hadn't seen you, cause I'd, I'd seen pictures of you since you retired, but you were a big guy when you were playing cricket, but now, I mean, I mean, you're absolutely huge. And uh, the picture went round of you and Sachin Tendulkar on social media this last week or so. And I, I think a lot of people hadn't seen how big you'd got since retirement. Is that like, is it a hobby? Is it, uh, is it bodybuilding professionally? Is it just going to the gym? It, what, what is it? Is it just something you really enjoy doing? Yeah, I mean, I, I like to keep fairly fit when I was playing cricket. Uh, obviously, I was probably, you know, bigger than the average bowler. I mean, you know, like I said, Stephen Finn is the same height as me I think we're both six foot seven six foot eight I was probably about 105 106 kilos whereas Finney was probably 85 90 kilos you know so I was still a big guy for a bowler but yeah I guess you whack on another 20 kilos or so I've I've been even heavier than I am now at one point I was 130 odd kilos so I was a bit bigger than I am now 
so 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 yeah it is, it is it is very different is it something that you started doing towards the end of your career like wanting to gain muscle or is it something that- yeah no i think i think i when i retired i went i went straight into property um, i set up a bit of property investment business with somebody else at surrey which has actually gone really well the last five or six years um and yeah it's just i guess keeping fit during my cricket career was always you know i had a lot of injuries and i guess being in the gym and rehabbing it was kind of my mental way of getting through the rehab and having a focus out off the pitch i guess so i always try to enjoy the gym rather than i think a lot of cricketers and a lot of people that, that play sport they don't um necessarily enjoy the gym so when i retired it was just something to kind of focus on or have some sort of drive and i was always a kind of skinny guy as a kid as well and i thought well i'm just gonna play around with it a little bit and um and see if i could kind of change my body shape and get a bit stronger and i just kind of got a little bit addicted to it and um, it is it is very much a hobby. Um, it's not. I don't want to be a bodybuilder or you know these these kind of things get thrown around saying Chris Trent's a bodybuilder. I'm not a bodybuilder. I just I just enjoy keeping fit and, and my my physique has changed quite a lot over the last five years or six years or so, and that's just come from cons- consistently training differently and eating a lot more food and and trying different types of training as as opposed to what I did with, with cricket, whereas my training was very much focused towards fast bowling and and and, and Finney will now as he as he's still playing. You're, the training is very much geared towards training your body to bowl fast. So, uh, yeah, my training is completely the opposite now. It's just uh, very much just trying to kind of build muscle and look look quite good in the t-shirt sort of thing, <laughs> uh, and try and try and keep and try and still keep reasonably fit with it. Um, I'm looking at some of the other names on this because uh, South Africa have got the man with the greatest nickname in cricket, Monday Zondeki, or as he was known at his uh, at his district in South Africa, All Hands, because All Hands Zondeki. Um, but West Indies, I mean, this is a team. So this is who you've got next. Brian Lara, Shivnarine Shandapal, Tino Best, Carl Hooper, what? Ramnaresh Sarwan. Tino Best, he's still playing. What is, what's going on here? <laughs> a couple of those names have actually got, I think they've actually gone home, like uh, a couple of those guys, like Shandapal's not here. Uh, but yeah, Tino, Tino Best is, uh, they've got, they've got the speed guns a bit, doesn't always come up, but. Tino Best was still bowling 89 miles an hour. <laughs> we're bowling off 10 paces, Tino, and you're bowling off a full run at 90 miles an hour. So, yeah, so we're a bit like, you know, we are here for a bit of a laugh. I mean, we're not faced cricket for so well, but yeah, there are, there are some strong strong names here. Like I said, guys that are, who can still bowl, who can still bat. You know, Brian Lara, I think, is 51, and he's, he's got a couple of 50s here. He can still play. So it's it's amazing, you know, obviously the body doesn't quite respond quite the same way, but the, the mind and the the technique and the, the skill that you've had for so many years it's amazing how kind of quickly it kind of um it comes back and you know i guess for someone like brian lara it, it never goes even at his age would you go back and play club cricket ever chris would, would that ever took your fancy just as a batsman because dan's so right when i played these charity games none of the batsmen want to bat they just want to bowl a paul nixon never wants to wicket keep he just wants to bowl and he's actually a very good bowler nico uh, but they never want to do the thing they did when they were playing. So could anyone tempt you out of retirement if there's any clubs listening for a... You could open the batting every week, couldn't you, Chris? No, nah, yeah, I mean, not not club cricket. I, just, I don't, I mean, I'm not a massive cricket badger. I don't really, to be honest, I don't watch much cricket since retirement. I've never, I've never been a massive cricket watcher. I mean, more obviously more so when I was playing, but since retirement, I don't, I don't, I don't follow county cricket anymore. I just watch a bit of the England stuff. I, I do a column for City, City AM. Um, but yeah, the thought—I mean, even like I said, the thought of playing cricket's always kind of struck a bit of fear into me because I know how how my body was playing cricket. I was always injured, um, and it was a bit of a relief off my shoulders in the end when I retired, just going, oh, "I don't have to do it. You know, I don't have to do that anymore. I don't have to take painkillers every day anymore." So um, even just playing as a batsman, yeah, you know, and, and just the way my lifestyle is now, I just I enjoy my weekends because when you, when you play full time cricket, your weekends are generally. Um, taken your summers are gone so i'm yeah you know, i'm just enjoying my my life as it is um but from this this point of view like playing this sort of thing having the opportunity to come and play in a in a proper stadium in front of you know tens of thousands of fans i mean that is a little bit more appealing right you know than playing in front of 20 people in a club game um but yeah i i, I, don't, I don't i don't know i think you know i've got a young son and i've got another boy on the way so maybe when they get a little bit um, a little bit older and if they get into cricket, then maybe I'll start playing a bit of club cricket and be nice to kind of play with them. I know Matthew Hoggard, for example, plays third team with his son. His, his son's 13 and he plays third team cricket with him. And I guess that's quite a nice experience to do that. So maybe when I'm a, I'm a little bit older and, and whatnot, I might play some club cricket with my, with my, with my sons and, and things. But at the moment, I'll probably just, you know, if I get invited back to do this sort of thing, I'll probably, probably keep doing this as long as my body allows me to. 
Uh, and then obviously they've got like the PCA masters and things like that. Um, uh, you know, the, the generation that's done that's a little bit older than me. So but I think they're kind of to get a, a slightly younger crowd these days and the guys that I used to play with them. So that'd be quite good fun to to catch up with those guys now now again. And, you know, it's, it's not really about the cricket. It's, it's, it's more just to have a have a bit of fun and catch up with the guys that you've played with and uh, and go out there and just have a bit of a laugh, really. I, I definitely, Toby, I, I see a Lord's Taverners opening batting lineup of Andy Caddick and Chris Tremble oh, straight yeah. away with Hoggy. Yeah, it'd, it'd, it'd be a tall partnership, that one, but yeah. It'd be very, very tall indeed. You, you'll get, I mean, a short pitch bowler would have to be extremely short to bother you, especially at that level. I, I've, I've seen Caddy and, you know, Ian O'Brien's another one. We used to laugh at him, you know, on, on commentary, we'd look at Ian O'Brien and go, right, here's a walking wicket. And then we turn up to these games and he absolutely smashes it over wide long on for huge, enormous sixes. I mean, I think, like I said, it's, it is, you know, like I said, when you're used to facing, yeah. you know, you're watching us face 85 miles an hour. And obviously, obviously when the tail comes in, you generally the two quick bowlers come on and, and, and the, the tail enders find that hard work. So when you just go down a couple of levels to club cricket and, and it's 75 miles an hour, which is, you know, it's pretty slow for a tail ender. You, you, your eyes light up and you think, right, I'm going to actually try and show people that I can bat at your kind of level because obviously club cricketers assume that tail enders can't bat at all but when you go back to their level it's like yeah, well, we can bat it's just we are generally facing some pretty quick stuff around our head which is which is a different ball game you know when it's when it's nice nicely in this slot at that speed it's it's fine but when Brett Lee and these guys are bowling at your head 90 miles an hour trying to kill you I mean it's scary for the opening batsman let alone us so it's um, yeah it's a completely different different kettle of fish this reminds me of a theory that was doing the rounds at Surrey, which was that when uh, Surrey play against Kent and Darren Stevens opens the batting, they should reverse their batting order. Because actually, Morley Morkel is more likely to be able to whack Darren Stevens out of the pavilion than, uh, than Rory Burns is. You know, opening, I remember Rob Key, he used, when we used to play against Rob Key, and we had, and I was at Hampshire, and we had Dimitri Mascarenas. He just absolutely, it was a, he was his walking wicket. I mean, so many openers we just get out as soon as Dimmy came on to bowl. They just it was like I can't face him. I can't hit him off the square. And like you said, but you know if, if, if you reverse the order and um, you treat Dimmy as a club bowler, you know where it's kind of roughly going to be. And you just try and slog him. You might get a, you might get a, a quick twenty out of your number eleven. But um, obviously don't, that never kind of happens. But Darren Stevens another one. He's not quick. He just you know swings it around at what 73, 74 miles an hour. But he's a, he's an opening batsman's nightmare. But um, as a tail ender, you'd rather face him than the Morkel <laughs> any day of the week. Speaking of not quick and swinging it around about 73 miles an hour, we are joined once again by Stephen Finn. Finney, good to see you, mate. Uh, we've just been talking about how Chris Chemlet's just an absolute gun with the bat nowadays. In this, in this, it's always been a gun. How, how are you, Finney, mate? What have you been doing? You, you've been bored out of your mind on Zoom calls all day, and this is another one. Yeah, this is. I'm currently on three hours, 20 minutes of Zoom calls so far today and straight back to back. So nothing more of a pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> I'm hoping you're going to tell us some great stories, Trem. That's why I've popped in. Yeah. Better than these two that I usually get. <laughs> oh, thank you very much. Nice to see you too, Finny. Uh, so I've just been chatting to, uh, to Chris about this uh, Masters series, which by the way, Finny, this is a good racket. In the, in the next couple of years, when your body finally breaks down, one final time. You've got to get on this tour, Finny. It sounds like great fun. And the names are ridiculous. Verenda Sewag, Sachin Tendulkar, Brian Lara. But the thing that we really wanted to get him on to talk about was the story that Finney told last week on the podcast. Now, if you follow us on social media at Zero Ducks Pod, you may have seen this story doing the rounds. And I'll quickly refresh you that uh, Stephen Finn, nervous, flew out to, to meet some of the England players in India. And he went into his hotel room and he'd never met Chris Tremlett, but Chris Tremlett was big time at this point. He was taking wickets for England. He was a well-respected bowler on the county scene, a, a proper legend in Finney's eyes. And Finney walked in and uh, in the middle of the night heard some questionable noises coming out from the bathroom. Uh, and he, the first time Stephen Finn ever met Chris Tremlett, he was basically on all fours around a toilet in India, feeling a little bit sorry for himself. So Finney, we've heard your, your side of the story. Uh, Chris, can you remember the first time you met Stephen Finn? I do. I can never forget it. Um, <laughs> like I, th I think we were in, I, I think we we're in Chennai or something. And yeah, we were on the England Academy A tour. And um, yeah, I remember, I remember Finney and Billy Goddard turning up. And uh, yeah, I think I just played a few test matches and I had a, had an injury or, you know, hadn't been selected for a tour. I can't remember, but um, I was on that tour and um, 
I was told I was rooming with Finney, who was a kind of up and coming tall bowler like myself. And, you know, it'd be a good experience for him to room with the, the England pro. And yeah, I remember having dinner that night with, I think it was Michael Carberry and Moen Ali, I think. Uh, and I just, and they say sometimes you shouldn't eat the westernized foods, you stick to the kind of local stuff. And I had a, I think I had, a, I think it was, we weren't there long and I had a hamburger and I think a, a chocolate brownie or something and a few Cokes. And, um, went up to my room and after about an hour I thought I don't feel great here I don't feel normal it's something I've never kind of experienced before and um and yeah and I went into the bathroom and it was coming out of both ends for for hours (laughs) for ages and it was it was absolutely horrendous and then I think yeah Finney turned up and I was in there just you know I think he turned up quite late when when it was about 11 o'clock or something And and I just it was agony I was I just couldn't stop being sick I couldn't stop shitting my sister, myself it was it was the most horrendous thing ever you know anyone that's been to India and had that experience with Delhi Belly I've, I've had it twice luckily I've never had it again and hopefully I'd touch wood I don't get it again while I'm here now but it's just not something I've never experienced and you know for Finney to kind of come in and meet me the way I did it must have been um yeah I don't know what he must have felt like but it was, it was pretty pretty embarrassing for both of us and uh yeah I think he um I think he went down and kind of told the hotel staff and the poor person that had to come and clear that up. It was all over the walls. It was, it was, it was disgusting. <laughs> we had to, we had to move rooms and everything. It was just like something you've never seen before. Is that something out of a horror movie? <laughs> it took me about three days to recover. I think I was eating naan bread and drinking flat coke for about three days. And eventually I re- recovered and, and, and uh, got to know Finney properly and, and hopefully kind of inspired him a little <laughs> bit more to, in a different way. <laughs> yeah, good, good, good memories. And yeah, it just seems like quite a long time ago now. But yeah, I do, I do remember it very well. A couple of questions spring to mind. I, I was speculating on how Finney introduced himself at this point. You know, did he sort of like knock on the door and say, uh, Mr. Tremlett, are you okay? <laughs> did, did he hold out his hand? I mean, you know, hopefully not. <laughs> I was in absolute agony. I don't. I do not remember. It was. It was. A, it was just, it was just like survival of the fittest, like kind of moment. It's just like I just need to just try and get through this somehow, or just I just want to stop feeling like this because it was. When you get Delhi Belly in India, it's like something you've never experienced in your life, and I've never had. I've never had it as bad as that before, and I've never had it that bad since. And uh, yeah, poor Finney had to kind of hear me go through that, and obviously I had to experience that. But yeah, it was just just one of those horrendous memories but um yeah <laughs> the yeah. first time i met stephen finn was an horrendous memory yeah yeah, look, yeah you get you get that a lot don't you Finny? i uh, i just love the idea that they said eh, you know finney you room with chris chumlet chris chumlet you're gonna have stephen finn in your room you know it'd be really good for him to learn from you when when you opened that door and saw chris chumlet exploding out both ends did, did, did you learn anything from that finney well, not a lot, because a few years later, I went and ate lukewarm chicken in Pakistan and ended up in a pretty similar situation. So <laughs> I obviously didn't take any advice at all. Chris, thank you so much for joining us. I know it's late there, and I know you've got a big game against West Indies coming up. Um, but uh, do um, when you play West Indies, please bang one in short against Tino Best. <laughs> yeah, I will. I mean, he's, uh, he's there's a few. I mean, I didn't. Play against him much in county cricket, and um, but there's a few stories that he used to buff you kind of beamers on purpose, and he's, I don't think he's particularly liked around the county circuit. And, uh, and there's a few guys here that are like, oh, Tino's here, and uh, you know, you know, I hope he doesn't act like a, you know, an idiot and start trying to bounce everyone. But yeah, we'll we'll see what happens. I think if we if he if he bowls first and starts giving it to a few lads, then uh, then I might have to come off a slightly longer run up and and give him give him try and give him some medicine, even though it won't be as quick as him, but. Um, Has there been fast bowlers union, Trem? Have people been banging them into the tail enders and stuff? No, to be fair, the standards are quite different. Like India have got a pretty strong side. Sri Lanka have got a pretty strong side. They've got, I guess, more recently retired players. I mean, some of the Sri Lanka players, I think they've got four players that retired like two weeks ago, like Prasad. <laughs> is still, he's still bowling at like 138 and um, <laughs> coming off his full run. And Tino was bowling 89 the other day, coming off his full run. And me and Hoggard are coming off like 12 paces. Um, bowling, seven, you know, seventy-eight. So it's hard to cut, yeah. Um, but yeah, generally it's been it's been fine. It's been pretty relaxed. But I, I I think when you play the Asian teams, they are taking it really seriously, and um, they haven't really, I guess, banged it in. I guess guys aren't quick enough apart from Tino and probably Prasad to bang it in. But um, yeah, it's 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 been just a strange tournament to playing because it is it is relaxed, but at the same time, you know, because there's big crowds here. So once you start getting whacked into the stands, you, you can't help yourself to go. Oh, I'm going to have to try and 
try a bit harder and try and remember how to bowl, <laughs> bowl a Yorker. That's all right. I'm still trying to work that out and I'm still playing. So. <laughs> I mean, you know, playing against India the other night and I think I needed 30-odd off a couple of overs and I was bowling the penultimate over. And um, and then one of their guys starts whacking me into the stands and there's 35,000 30, people screaming. It's like an IPL game and I'm like, I haven't bowled for six years. I've just used to, you know, try and bang it on the length. All of a sudden, I've got to try and bowl a Yorker. So it was like going from like this relaxed situation into like I'm playing in an IPL game right now. <laughs> felt like it anyway. <laughs> and it's on TV and, you know, we didn't know it was on TV. And then there's now people, you know, there's people messaging from home saying, oh, I'm watching it at home. So, um, <laughs> so yeah, it is relaxed. But at the same time, when you're in those kind of pressure situations, it does bring it back a little bit. And you just have to try and, you know, I think we just try to remember that we are retired and um, whatever happens, it doesn't matter at the end of the day. Just try to enjoy it. But, the, you know, like the likes of Tendulkar and Dilshan and those guys, they're, they're taking it really seriously. And they really want to win. And I think it's I think it's a tournament that's going to um, really kick off, actually. I think it's going to happen every year and it'll be quite a good opportunity for guys that are retired and still want to play. I think if it, if it does take off, it'll be quite a good opportunity for guys you know, that are retired that can have an opportunity to come and play. And like I said, it's pretty lighthearted and quite good fun. <laughs> I should point out, whilst uh, Chris Chemlet said he thinks this tournament's going to carry on for a few years, Finney started practising warming up on his screen on ours. You like the sound of this, Finney? Very much. I think I might pull the pin now, get over to India. <laughs> Sounds great. Chris, I'm going to say thank you for flying the England flag and doing us proud. I love that you say, yeah, I think some of the England boys are cheating. It was more of a jolly than the other teams. That, that is the most classic English people on holiday I've ever heard. Chris, mate, <laughs> thank you so much for, for joining us for so long, mate. And come back and uh, join us on the podcast again soon, mate. It's been great having you. No problem, guys. Nice to speak to you. Thank, thank you very you. much. Cheers, 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 Cheers. Thank you. Great to hear from Chris Chumlet there and looking forward to seeing if he gives Tino Best a, a bit of... A bit of uh, Bit of chin music. The reason I chose Tino Best was apparently he's bowling the quickest. So I thought it'd be really funny if, on my say so, Chris Tremblett bounces Tino Best. And then we see some footage going around on social media in a week's time of, of Chris Tremblett being stretched off because Tino Best had just absolutely rattled the ball. Play. But he seemed to go along with it. Tremblett was like, yeah, okay, yeah, I'll bowl a bouncer. Yeah. And then we took a brief interval, which, um, which you didn't see. And then Dan Norcross disappeared. And uh, he's come back very, very excited. Dan, where did you go? You only meant to go away for 10 seconds. Where have you been? Well, I went to get myself a glass of wine, obviously. And then I saw that my, my box of free wine has arrived. Uh, basically, I can't talk about the exact company just in case the entire thing goes wrong. But I signed up to a wine club some time ago. And uh, and you got one of these discounts. It sort of came with this, you know, you get £50 off for your first delivery. And uh, I did that. And then... They keep on sending me wine, but nothing comes out of my bank account. Uh, but they only do it every two. They do it every sort of every two months. I haven't quite worked out exactly when it's going to happen. So each time it happens, it's like, oh, the god of free wine has arrived. It's been going <laughs> for about four years. It's absolutely fantastic. So yeah, there's another bloke in the system somewhere. There's a bloke called like Daniel Northcroft. Yeah. Who, who every two months stands around waiting for his wine to turn up and it never turns up because they keep charging my fucking card and I've not had a sip of, I've not had a sip of wine in years and you're the guy that's taking Philip on here's, here's to Daniel Northcroft so there you are, look at that. now he's raising a glass of wine to Daniel Northcroft wherever you are sir thank you for your service alright well thank you very much Chris Trevlet but now we need to move on to the, uh, the wider cricketing world so first of all Let's talk about some dodgy, dodgy umpiring decisions that have taken place over the last few days. Kieran Pollard is a man that you can't keep out of the news at the minute. Six sixes the other day, taking, taking wickets, scoring runs in this one-day series between West Indies and Sri Lanka. And also, he got a man given out for obstructing the field the other day. Um, and I'm, I never say this well first time. Danushka Gunatilika, which I'm pretty sure is spot on, but I always normally get that wrong. Um, so if you haven't seen the f- footage going around on social media, Kieran Pollard runs in, he bowls, Gunafilica plays a forward defensive and the ball drops down between his feet. Kieran Pollard goes to try and pick up the ball, turn around and throw out the non-striker. And he appeals to strikes in the field because the batsman seemingly got in the way of him. It was a ridiculous decision. I think everyone on social media agreed. I mean, the poor bloke had to go somewhere. He's just played a forward defensive. In fact, apparently Kieran Pollard apologised to him after the game. Uh, what do we make of it? Finney, have you seen the footage? Because it struck me that, first of all, Kieran Pollard had to appeal, uh, which was actually very entertaining because you heard his appeal on the stump mic and it was very entertaining. Then they had to kind of watch the replay and never retract their appeal at any point. It's all very well and good going apologising after the game, but did you think it was poor form of Kieran Pollard to appeal for that? Or would you be, would you be appealing for that all day long? I think, weren't they about 150 for two or so, or one at the stage or something? Yeah, they were, so- yeah. 
Yeah, if it's looking ominous for you, sometimes you'll appeal for anything. It was almost like a half-assed appeal, wasn't it, at first? How's that? Um, and then it plays out. And yeah, I think you'd imagine that common sense would come into it at some stage. And I think a lot of people afterwards have condemned it, saying it shouldn't be out and it shouldn't, like, it's definitely not out. Um, and having watched the footage, I'd say it's probably not out as well. He doesn't seem aware of where the ball actually is. So um, yeah, it's also the perils of, being able to slow footage down and um, and be able to give something out when when really when it's done real time, it doesn't look that out. I think I, I remember going off on a tangent again, but Ben Stokes at Lords when Mitchell Stark threw the ball full pelt straight at his face, and Stokes instinctively put a hand out to stop the ball hitting him in the face. And when you slow it down, it looks as though Ben Stokes is looking at the ball and then punches it away with his glove when it's in hyper slow motion. But actually, no, it's just an instinctive reaction to cover your face to stop a projectile hitting it. So, um, yeah, I think it's one of those ones where the more you look at the footage, the more reasons you can find to give it out, and therefore you give it out. But I'd say the wrong decision was made, and I think the cricketing world, especially on social media, has been pretty unanimous. Have you ever, in your career, Finney, um, appealed for something you absolutely knew wasn't out and been given it, or have you ever rescinded an appeal in your life and went, actually, that's taking the mick? I don't think I've rescinded one. I, th- <laughs> I think you take the you take the rough and the smooth with slightly dodgy LBW decisions or a court down the leg side or something like you, you do because also batsmen have the cheek to stand there and pretend they've not hit it when they've absolutely laced the leather off it. So, um, and sometimes those are given not out. So I think as a bowler, you should just, you know, take the rough and the smooth with it. So I've never appealed for one that's so shockingly bad that you'd have to call someone back, but also, in the heat of the moment, if I appeal for something and an umpire gives it out, I, I'm not going to reverse that decision out of the good of my heart. No way. Because I don't have a heart. <laughs> <laughs> As we're learning more and more every week, Finney. Um, actually, that, that, I was going to ask you that. And uh, we've never talked about this before. In my very, uh, very insignificant cricketing career, but at club level, I make a real point of being very nice and polite to the umpires and uh, thanking them for taking my hat and being very nice to them and asking them how they are and asking them if they're liking the weather and just basically making small talk because I have no question in my mind that they are human beings. And I'm pretty sure I've had some decisions go my way over the years. We at my school had the same umpire, Dave, every week. Dave loved me. The amount of wickets that I I got just from Dave quite liking me off the pitch was unbelievable. Do Do you think that ever comes into it? The human element? Do you ever make a point of being nice to the umpires or are you one that's grumpy and rips the hat out of their hands at the end of the over? Uh, always, always very polite to the umpires because you never know when it may come back and bite you in the arse. I think um, I, I've, I've generally been pretty polite and pleasant to umpires. I think once I might have snatched my jumper off of um, an umpire and one, I can't remember exactly which umpire it was, but um, I definitely remember this happening. I snatched my jumper off him because he'd not given like the most straightforward LBW decision ever. And he, uh, he grabbed me by the shoulder and he said, you fucking England players always get it your own way, don't you? You're not fucking getting it this time. <laughs> Something like that. So I was like, okay, I'll, I'll probably never snatch my umpire off the jumper. I'll never snatch my jumper off the umpire again. So, um, yeah, I, um, and I think that week I'd been left out of an England game and had to come back down from an England game and play for Middlesex straight away. So I wasn't in the greatest of spirits. <laughs> that should have been your yeah. response. Actually, I'm not even a fucking England player actually i'll have you now Wait. <laughs> exactly I'm, I'm an england water boy <laughs> way to stick the knife in on fire jesus uh, there, there's, so there's there's two cricketers that instantly spring to mind here that do exactly what you do toby and what you yeah. should do Billy, or did do warney shane warne and yeah. graham swan i mean have you ever seen two players more play the umpire than them <laughs> all of their appeals like they even had this kind of like little choreographed dance where they go ah, ah, and then they tell you ah, no as it, and they would do this like three times in a row, and then they go, ah, and then they'd absolutely mean it as, as if to say to the umpire, "Well, it's it's now out, isn't it?" Because you know, like the, the the others were a bit marginal, 
And it, it, it works like a dream. I reckon Warney would have got only about 350 wickets if it wasn't for that technique. <laughs> is, that, is that the tagline for the, um, for the podcast? Warren would have only got 350 test wickets. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we've insulted Don Bradman and Virat Kohli. Shame Warren next. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely true, though. I mean, you, an LBW decision, if you go up for one... And if you go up pretty big and when you're walking back, the umpire's giving it not out, I'll always add in a, oh, very close though. Very <laughs> close, wasn't it? And then if they agree, you, you just believe that you've got them thinking, oh, he knows what he's talking about, this bloke. He's not just appealing for everything. Yeah. And if I do if I do appeal for one, actually, that's just blatantly not out, like it hits someone on the inner thigh pad or something, I'll turn around, how? And I'll say, oh, no, sorry. Sorry, umpire. I didn't mean that one. Yeah. I only appeal when I think they're <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, which you'll see in the next over. Exactly, yeah, yeah. I, I, just one thing I wanted to say about the uh, about the obstructs in the field, which is moderately interesting to me, is that I think it's one of the only areas in cricket where intent comes in. Like in football, intent is a really large part, a lot of the time, of refereeing decisions. But in cricket, it isn't. So if you bowl a beamer, even if you didn't mean to bowl a beamer, you get warned. If you bowl another one, you're off. You can't turn around and say, I didn't mean to do it. But in obstructing the field, we've got this one weird grey area where you're asking umpires to work out intent. And that is sort of, I think it's unique in cricket, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, basically everything else is just, it's black and white. They just don't necessarily make the right decision. Each time. I think they may have changed the Beamer rule though now where it has to be dangerous for it to be called a no ball, I think. I mean, that's how I'm interpreting it. <laughs> <laughs> well, surely none of your beamers are dangerous at the pace you're bowling at nowadays, are they, Philly? Fucking hell. Well, I want to have a net against you. <laughs> Every week you come on here and slip. Let's me. make this happen. Let's definitely make you this strap happen. You strap those Woodstock pads on, make sure you've got a box helmet and chest pad, and let's fucking go. <laughs> Funnily enough, I've got the pads right next to me. I, I, I shouldn't have let you know that. Yeah, when you're running good and bowling 80 miles an hour at my head, I'll be going, okay, yeah, this is dangerous. This is dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> We've got to make that happen. That is a definite. That is now a definite. I, by the way, think Philly bowls at a very, very decent pace. And uh, you'd be correct. Yeah, I, I, I'm, 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 I'm always. I've always been in order. Oh, Philly. you kiss I'm, us! Yeah. Off, <laughs> I'm very happy to umpire. Where's but... Daniel Northcroft when you need him? I much prefer him. But no, I think you're so right because I was watching back the uh, the umpire looking at the footage, and it's the closest thing we've kind of got to VAR in football where there's actually not a black and white decision. A bloke has to kind of make a decision with his own mind about what the intention of a player was. And uh, it, was in, it was interesting to see that side of things. Um, I want to talk about another bit of dodgy umpiring. And that took place in the second 2020 between England and India. Now, there was a bit of controversy around the third umpire decisions during the test series, England versus India. Um, people saying, you know, maybe the third umpire was favouring the home side, India, a little bit. So Virat Kohli was well beaten by a beautiful leg spin. It was actually the only good ball out of shoot bowled in the whole game. Absolute beauty. Drift, spin, it beat his outside edge. Josh Butler took the bails off, appealed for a stumping. The replay came back up. It was very tight. We should make that clear. It was very, very, very tight. However, being completely honest as an England fan, I <laughs> genuinely thought it was out. I couldn't see a bit of his foot behind the line. Um, he gave it not out. If that wasn't Virat Kohli batting, would it have been given out is my question to you, Daniel Norcross. Very possibly. Well, I tell you what would have happened if it wasn't Virat Kohli is that we would have had a split screen, which is what we needed, of the stump cam. We need to see the stump cam and the side cam simultaneously, right? In just the same way as they can do with the, with the ultra edge. Because the stump cam is the one that will tell you most of the time whether someone's stumped. Unbelievably. What a surprise. Nominative determinism. You get... You get a fairly good view of it. Whereas what the third umpire did was he checked the stump cam, but he didn't actually check to see if the the bales were broken or, 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 the, or at least they lit up at the, at the time before any part of his foot went behind that line. And I mean, there were loads of things that, that were a little bit wonky about that. And it reminds me a little bit of Moeen Ali in the Brisbane test, the first test match of 2017-18, when the Australians drew an absolutely massive crease line when England were batting, which got mysteriously thinner when they were batting. And it was so thick, it was about five inches wide. <laughs> so for Moeen to get anything behind that line, 
Well, you know, you'd have needed bigger feet, basically. <laughs> and there was on this occasion, what they did was when India were batting, there was quite a light line, so it was really quite difficult to see on the stump cap. I think if I was the third umpire, though, I would probably have done what he did, which was just go, not out. It's Virat Kohli. Let's all watch him bat. They were always going to win that game anyway. I mean, that is another thing. I mean, don't get me wrong. This decision did not influence that uh, that game, nor did the decisions in the Test Series change the outcome of the Test Series either. I just, you know, I compared it on social media to uh, to that kid at under-12s whose dad is also one of the umpires. So, you, you know, you can't get him out LBW from his end. Um, I'm, I just wonder if it ever plays into the thinking of cricketers. And Finney, you can answer this. You know, in the same way that in boxing, for example, if you are an Englishman going to fight an American in front of the American judges in Vegas... You have it in your mind. We can't let this go to points because the judges won't give it to me, which I always think is always ridiculous, but that's boxing. Is it going to become a part of cricket or is it already a part of cricket, Finney? Did you ever go, you know, and play against, you know, uh, you're playing against the best batsmen in, in their country and you're thinking, I need to get an absolute plum LBW here because anything marginal, I'm never going to get in front of his home crowd. Does that come into your thinking at all? Well, I think it's only because of uh, COVID that you've actually got home umpires at the moment. Usually you would have neutral umpires for every game, everywhere, um, in test cricket especially. So I never actually played under these circumstances, but I think that's exactly the reason that that they bought in the neutral umpires in the first place because I, wasn't it Javid Miandad never got given out LBW in Pakistan? Something like that. I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you two stats that stagger me because it's this is not confined to India or Pakistan. Bill Laurie was never out LBW in Australia, <laughs> right? And in the 1970-71 Ashes winning tour, which England won one nil in a six-match series, how many LBWs do you think England got over the course of six Test matches? Have a quick guess. Three. Toby. Uh. Four. Zero. <laughs> Zero LBWs across six test matches in an entire tour. So, you know, this was exactly why neutral umpires had to be brought in because you could argue that, you know, Australian pitches bounce a bit more. There could be fewer LBWs. England didn't get no LBWs. They certainly didn't get no. I can't remember how many they got, 15, 20, something like that. Australia got zero that's amazing. You've done well to win a test series when you when LBW is taken out of the equation. That's that, that's pretty good yeah. going. To be well, Ray, Ray Lingwood said on that tour before it started, he said England need to take thirteen wickets for every nine that Australia takes. <laughs> well, I mean, it'll be something to keep an eye on over the course of the uh, of the rest of these uh, white ball games between England and India as well. But uh, yeah, I think uh, I think neutral umpires can't return soon enough. Now, also the spirit of cricket was not adhered to properly in Afghanistan and Zimbabwe, which we mentioned at the top of the podcast. Now, this was an absolute thing of beauty. Again, it was something I saw on social media. And I have watched so much cricket in my life and always asked this question, why does nobody ever do this? So picture Headingley in the Ashes when Ben Stokes and Jack Leach had that incredible partnership to win the Test match at Headingley. And Ben Stokes would take five balls of every over and the sixth ball, he'd get a single and he would retain the strike so that they never bowled at Jack Leach for more than one delivery. And they did it incredibly well, ridiculously well. But what if one of the Australian fielders had decided, sod this, Ben Stokes is carting it all, all around the place. Why, why don't we just roll the ball over the boundary, give him four off the last ball, and let Jack Leach come back on, on the strike? It was a bit different because there was still a tight run chase at hand there. But nonetheless, the point stands that you could, of course, do this at any point if you wanted to bowl at the other guy. And finally, it took place in Zimbabwe versus Afghanistan. What did you make of it, Daniel? Well, firstly, I've got to, I'm afraid I've got to come over all John Holder here with RC umpire because in your scenario, what happens is it's four overthrows. And so they get five runs. So that way, Ben Stokes stays on strike at the beginning okay. of the day. Okay, what, what was the action of complete genius on the part of the Afghan fielder? I believe it was Javed. Was that Sikandar Raza, drove the sixth ball of the over. He's got the number 11 at the other end. He drove the sixth ball of the over out towards the backward point boundary and on the field to come up in order to keep him on strike. And they ran, I can't remember whether they ran one or three. I think it might have just been one. And the fielder escorted the ball towards the boundary and it stopped short by about 
four or five inches. So the fielder, with a brilliant piece of quick thinking, put his left leg over the boundary, deliberately picked the ball up, and in one movement signaled four. Now, to me, that is absolute genius. Because, <laughs> because the umpire can't say no to that. He can't. Because that is what that is what it is. You know, that is what would happen sometimes it, with non-quick thinking cricketers. They might like accidentally put their foot over the line and then pick up the ball. And, oh, damn it, it's four. This was absolute genius. And spirit of cricket, nonsense. What that was, was somebody who's read the bloody laws, Afghan cricketer who's read the laws and understands it. And I've worked with way too many cricketers on Test Match. Read them, the read them and understand them. Read them and understand And he got his team an advantage and it meant that they had six balls at the number 11. It was beautiful. It was actually, it was so lovely I cracked open another bottle of Prosecco in celebration because I'd never seen it. It was fantastic. Another another bottle of Northcroft's finest Prosecco, <laughs> yeah. I don't know where you draw the line, though, because, OK, I mean, this is a hypothetical situation, but the ball's rolling towards the boundary, like you mentioned there, and it stops just short. You dive, you dive, yeah, you dive. You what dive you and push the ball into yeah. the boundary. At what point yeah. is it overflows? At what point is it just four runs? No, no, no. Di- diving, diving, even at a stationary ball and then taking yourself over the boundary would also work. Okay. And, and, and in many ways, that would have been even more, more dramatic. But <laughs> what I liked was the cynicism with which he did it because he actually looked at that and thought, nah, I'll just simply stick my left foot outside the boundary line, pick up the ball, uh, oh, sorry, I'm Pitts 4. I mean, it was just beautiful. I, I have to admit, I did quite like it. I probably shouldn't as a cricket purist. You'd do that, like you, wouldn't you? Steve, well, this is what I was going to ask. Come on, Stephen Finn. What do you reckon? Poor form, genius. Where do you reckon? I play at Lords for Middlesex, <laughs> where the laws of the game are discussed. Um, so I, I don't know. It's gamesmanship at its finest, isn't it, really? It's not against the laws of the game to do what he did because technically if you were to look at it in isolation then um you, it's not against the laws of the game but yeah very much the spirit of the game in question there he's just given them a bunch say. of runs finney what's 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 wrong he's given them he's well, given them extra runs i'll tell you what yeah imagine being the bowler that's four runs finney would be fumid You'd be spewing at you. <laughs> is, that, is, that, is that the thing you hate most about cricket? Is when uh, fielders give away runs. Overthrows away. are a thing that I hate a lot about cricket. Yeah, yeah. I, I've yeah, I've lambasted some people in my team for um, just stupid overthrows. When you can see there's no one backing up, the bloke's going to be miles in anyway, and some jumped up little twat batsman <laughs> at extra cover decides to have a full-blown throw at the stumps and just ping it for four, I make him go and get the ball. No, you go and get that fucking ball. You <laughs> threw it there. You go and get it. Oh, God. Remind me, remind me, Dan, when I, when I have this net against Finney, don't say the word overthrows near him before he, before he runs into bowl. There are so many triggers for Finney. I don't know. It's, it's, it's a bit, I'll have to be completely silent, I think. It's almost anything you'll set him off. <laughs> Well, I, I have to say that it was... Uh, I, I don't think you'd want to see it every week, but you know what? It was an entertaining viral clip on social media and uh, it, it worked as well. Fair play to them. Um, going back to social media very quickly, I know that we've uh, spent a lot of time chatting to Chris Tremlett, but uh, very, very quickly, thank you for all your interaction on social media. Once again, at Zero Ducks Pod on Twitter and Instagram and a TikTok account that we'll probably never use, at Zero Ducks Pod. I actually don't know if we've got any followers on TikTok. I've got no idea. I've not even checked. Um, but yeah, and also thank you to everyone that voted for us as best cricket podcast in a poll organised by at they cricketer on Twitter. Twenty eight UK based cricket podcasts, some big ones in there as well, and uh, and we and we won. I mean, it's always a bit dodgy. There's a bit of Russian meddling into the election going on because it's basically whoever has the most Twitter followers seems seems to win these polls. But we will take the victory, and I think we can officially call ourselves an award winning podcast from now on. I, I frankly, I, I think we need to do some votes of thanks. I think all of us do. I mean, you know, I want to thank my deceased parents, uh, my wife, um, our producer uh, that we'll never name. Yeah. Um, you, Toby, you, you, Stephen. But, you know, most of all, I'd like to thank me for mm. the dedication that I put into it and, uh, you know, the preparation, the thought and what have you. And I suppose we've also got to thank the voters, but I, it still hasn't 100% sunk in yet. 
to be brutally honest with you. I'm still, you know, I'm riding on the crest of a wave. I don't know how you guys feel. I've only ever won two things in my life, which was Worst Dressed Man at Money Extra <laughs> Limited 2001. <laughs> riding on the crest of a wave. Is that what you've been smoking? Sounds, sounds amazing. <laughs> and uh, I can't even remember the other award. It was, it was something like Top Bloke. Uh, where there were like two of us in a company. (laughs) Here we are with Stephen Finn, Ash's winner. uh, And and all this time I've been asking him about his Ash's memories and I could have tapped into your trophy cabinet instead. Had I known Finn, he would have made you the star of this podcast. Had I known you were sitting on silverware like that all this time. Well, thank thank you to everyone that voted. You know, thank you at, you know, Darren456782102 and all the other bots. And and Oleg, don't forget Oleg. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And, And 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 Sputnik. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> yeah. thank you chats thank you um, and also thank you for your cricketing puns as well because there was some news this week that the footballer Roberto Baggio is having a film made about him so we asked on social media which cricketing themed films would you like to see the silence of the Allen lambs the Malloy in striped pajamas Quinton the cockwork orange uh, and you didn't let us down the podcast cricket umpires call said an Alim Dar is born what about Dan Lawrence of Arabia, Finding Tino, Goodwill Ponting, said Tony on Twitter, Pulp Hiction, Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Darrells, <laughs> said Mark, <laughs> Turner and Gooch, said uh, Ben Mason. Mm. A, a very strong, very strong one here from Tom. Aravinda de Silver Linings Playbook, I thought was absolutely oh. superb. Uh, the Gower and the Glory, Sean Pollock of the Dead, Slumhog Millionaire, said Mark on Twitter. He also said, Kung Fu Pandamasena, which was we're very, very strong. Uh, and Toby <laughs> Roland Jones, friend of, friend of the podcast, Toby Roland Jones, said, what about Finception as well, which is, uh, which is where you just have several dreams about Stephen Finn in a night. And I think we've all been there. We've all been there. Uh, can I, many have, many have. <laughs> can, I just, can I just put a word for the, the Prithvi Shawshank Redemption? Because I, I, I don't think that got enough airy. Uh, very, very strong. Oh, well, and yeah. one, day, one day, he's going to be huge. Oh, well, he's only about five foot five, but... He's going to be differently huge. Yes, exactly. So it's good that we got that in early. So we can't, we're not after timers. We were talking about him before he became an, uh, an international superstar. Uh, Daniel and Stephen, thank you so much for joining us. I'm going to go and practice my pool shot for this next session against Finney. And uh, <laughs> all I'm going to say is watch out in row Z would be. <laughs> watch out for what? Bits <laughs> yeah. of your chin flying off. <laughs> yeah, exactly that. For blood spatter. Uh, so, yeah, in, in, in these COVID times, you can't afford to get my blood spatter over you in row Z. Uh, Daniel, Finney, lovely to see you both chaps. And uh, I'll speak to you both next week. Thanks, guys. Cheers, people. See ya. Podcast Network.